Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Meat Bucket mini-series appetizer-sized episodes, spotlighting local restaurants and discussing food scene news. I am your host, Nick Macero. This episode's coming out on Friday, November 5th. Happy Friday, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. If you've been listening to the mini-series, then you already know that uh, our sponsor is Pop Menu. So if you are an owner or operator of a restaurant, please listen closely and get in touch with me. In fact, I was just texting with the director of food and beverage for a restaurant here in town, and he said the timing couldn't be better. We've got a meeting set up for tomorrow, and the reason is is he absolutely hates his current web page, and he believes that we can help him. He's seen some of the work that we've done for some other restaurants in town. Pop Menu is a technology that is designed to give control back to independent restaurants. Take control from some of these third parties who are charging outrageous commissions for online ordering and delivering, who are maybe doing a play-to-pay model, pay-to-play model, excuse me, for your reviews and things online. If managing your menu and making adjustments is expensive or it takes way too much time, it's a pain in the neck. If you got to call your brother-in-law who's hosting your website in his basement and he built it for you a couple years ago, you know, we can we can solve those problems here at Pop Menu. So get in touch. Um, you can check out the website, get.popmenu.com, or again, contact me directly. This episode, we are going to talk about masturbation, stink bugs, and pawpaw fruit. And <laughs> those are some pretty crazy topics. We don't usually dive into those things on the Meat Bucket Podcast, but the reason we're doing so is because I got my hands on a book today. It's called Gastro Obscura, A Food Adventurer's Guide. The author is Cecily Wong. I met Cecily this afternoon at a luncheon and book signing in Bexley. She traveled the world collecting stories, testing recipes, uh, meeting with all kinds of people. You could consider her a gastronaut which is a term that I heard today that I thought was pretty cool. Uh, But her and her team scoured uh, small towns and countries across the world to put this book together. And it's really, it's again, it's a food adventurer's guide. So there's a couple things in here that I thought were hilarious. And uh, I'm going to read a couple of them verbatim, and I'll give you some information on where you can find this book. But here is, here's some pretty interesting stuff. So again, I said we're going to start with masturbation. Now, Gramercy Books is the bookstore in Bexley that, you know, put this luncheon and book signing together, and they said they were going to promote this, but when when the title is going to be about masturbation and stink bugs, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're really going to want to share the Meat Bucket podcast with their audience after that, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, again, because these words are not mine, and they're all tied back to food, so it's kind of funny, but Let's start here on page 287. It says anti-masturbatory food. What a what a phrase. Presbyterian minister Sylvester Graham was one of the leading voices of the anti-alcohol temperance movement. You know, that's definitely not my kind of movement of the early 19th century. But his real passion was vegetarianism. Vegetarianism 
Okay, this Sylvester Graham would not be <laughs> a big fan of the Meat Bucket Podcast, and I don't think that uh, we're big fans of him. So he was uh, a passionate vege- vegetarian, and uh, he hoped he would cure Americans of self-abuse, more formally known as masturbation. His Graham diet eschewed eschewed all foods that provided pleasure or could be associated with indulgence. He called these foods excitants because he believed they fired the blood and they included all spices, even salt and pepper, condiments like vinegar and mustard, candy, eggs, and most dairy. To combat these thrilling foods, he invented the graham cracker, a coarse, unbleached flour, bran, and wheat germ biscuit meant to dull the senses and keep people from touching themselves. <laughs> okay, so I'm reading this for the first time live here on the mics. This is absolutely hilarious. Cecily, good on you for putting this book together. Graham died in 1851, thank God, at the age of 57, before his graham cracker was commercially processed with sugar and used as a vessel for chocolate and marshmallows. The mallow. One of Graham's most fervent followers was John Harvey Kellogg, anti-masturbation health activist and actual medical doctor. Kellogg, who spent most of his life as a Seventh-day Adventist, also believed a bland vegetarian diet would curb sexual urges and keep people pure. This guy does not know the definition of pure. That's anti-pure. Come on. He ran a sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan. Makes sense that he's from up north. Shout out to uh, the Ohio State fans who are listening. Where he experimented with recipes for bland breakfast food. Around 1877, he baked a wheat, oat, and corn dough that he crumbled and sold as granola. But Kellogg's biggest break was in cereal flakes a process he and his brother discovered when they ran a sheet of stale dough through the rolling machine. Cereal became a health trend and a cold, plain food in direct opposition to the era's standard morning meal of meat, potatoes, cake, and pie. All right, so this dude is the worst. I mean, think of this breakfast you could have been eating growing up as a kid. Meat, potatoes, cake, and pie, and then this dude comes along, and you're eating frosted flakes. Not even frosted, just cornflakes. Kellogg cornflakes. All right, this dude stinks. Kellogg believed eating his cereal would keep the public from carnal impulses, and it might have worked had not his brother, Will Kellogg, insisted, there it is, on adding sugar to the flakes, and advertising them as fun, tasty food. It was Will, not John, behind the Kellogg Company that brought sugary cereals to the mainstream. Oh my gosh. That was a thrilling read. I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, that was my first time through it. I wanted to uh, do it live, as they say. F this thing. We'll do it live. So we did it live, and... uh, (laughs) That is hilarious. So, graham crackers, they were invented apparently to uh, keep people's 
hands above the waist and uh, visible uh, to the good Lord and the Holy Spirit, everything else. So that that is fantastic. Really good stuff. Again, Cecily Wong, <laughs> I'm glad that you you scoured the earth to find that story for us. So we're going to move on to another uh, another interesting tidbit. This may not be quite as entertaining, but I, I think it's I think it's pretty interesting, especially living here in Ohio, where these things are pretty prevalent. This is an excerpt called Cinnamon Flavored Bugs, Humiles in Mexico. So in the town of Taxco, the traditional way to eat humiles is while they're alive. Now, if you're looking at this picture, this is, it looks like a common American stink bug. You know, the six-legged brown kind of pendant-shaped stink bug that crawls in through your screens and gets all over the place. You end up flushing them down the toilet. At least that's what that's what my wife does. I always let them outside, let them free back into the wild. But now I know there's a whole new purpose for them. Harvested from their mountain homes, these ancient stink bugs are commonly doused with lime, wrapped in tortillas, and consumed while the bug still has full capacity of its scuttling legs. The flavor is a medicinal blend of cinnamon and mint, and the smell is as pungent as the name stink bug suggests. Reports from the 1930s and 1940s describe indigenous Mexicans using the insects to treat kidney, liver, and stomach ailments. They're also rumored to be aphrodisiacs. So this is the anti-graham cracker. You eat some stink bugs, and you are going to be fully torqued and ready to roll. No holds barred. (laughs) Taxco holds an annual humilde to honor the multi-purpose bugs, it takes place on the Monday after the Day of the Deceased because many locals believe that the insects are the reincarnation of their ancestors. It's not uncommon to hear a local ask, are you carrying family? What they're really asking is if you have any humiles. So how about that? The the stink bug. Um, I don't know if I'm going to try it, but if you were to do it, uh, this is how Cecily suggests uh, is the best way to try it. You need to eat the bugs alive to experience their full mouth-numbing properties, but they're a tasty and much tamer experience when cooked. I wonder how you would cook them. We don't have any details on that. Um, humiles are a favorite taco filling in Taxco where you can buy them by the bag full at the local market. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing one of these bastards scurrying around uh, in your house and picking it up, tossing it on a tortilla, squirting some lime, maybe a little salt, uh, and tossing it down the hatch? I'll throw this offer out there for any bucket riders who are listening, and it's just going to be the first person to do this. It's not for everybody, but if there's there's somebody brave enough, uh, I mean, it's almost winter now, so I don't know if we'll see any humiles here uh, in Ohio anytime soon, but if you capture one of these guys, film yourself capturing the bug, uh, throwing it on a tortilla, lime, salt, and eating it, and film your reaction, 100 bucks out of the old meat bucket bank account coming your way. So now let's move to our third and final tale really to localize this whole thing and bring it back to Ohio. 
And this is uh, a little page on page 309 called North America's Mango, the Pawpaw Fruit in Ohio. Native to the central and eastern half of the United States, pawpaws are a little bigger than an avocado and comparably heavy. A ripe pawpaw has an almost liquid texture with a pungent, sweet smell and a taste reminiscent of tropical fruits like mangoes and bananas. They are sometimes referred to as the poor man's banana or hillbilly mangoes. Ava- okay, hold on. I thought it said avocado, but it says advocates praise pawpaw's creamy tropical taste while detractors find their puckery flavor more suitable for those with blunted palates. Pawpaws are the largest edible fruit native to North America. Millennia ago, they fed mastodons. Fruits and vegetables such as corn, strawberries, and carrots were small and bitter before humans tediously crafted and bred them for size and flavor. But wild pawpaws were large and one of the most nutritious fruits, providing a good source of potassium, several amino acids, vitamin C, iron, and copper. Pawpaws were a staple of many indigenous American diets, and Lewis and Clark were content to live off them during a leg of their 1804 to 1806 journey across America. George Washington himself was also an enthusiast. But the pawpaw is persnickety in its own way. The trees are harvestable only from late August to mid-October, and if kept at room temperature, the fruit ripens to the point of fermentation within three days. Pawpaws bruise easily, and the only effective way to ship them is frozen. Once the shortcoming of apples and strawberries were bred away, the pawpaw fell out of favor. So that doesn't mean there aren't still fans. Every year, in fact, the Ohio city of Albany hosts a pawpaw festival where the pawpaw flows freely and growers enter their fruits for awards. You know what? I have never had a pawpaw. I've lived in Ohio for 32 years. Never had them. Never even really knew what they were. I I have had uh, Headhunter's pawpaw wheat uh, beer, but I had no idea what a pawpaw was. Uh, I'm looking at a picture here. It it does. It's a green fruit. It looks like a really large green grape. I would say that's a kind of a good description. They grow in a cluster, kind of like a, ban- a banana, um, if you will. So I've never been to the Pawpaw Festival, but there was a gal in the audience today at the luncheon who uh, she was she was telling us all about it. She said they they have all kinds of stands where people will make like Pawpaw ice cream and Pawpaw bread and Pawpaw whatever this that and the other. So you can go around and eat all these. Pawpaw uh, infused and inspired foods. They got music. You know, I, I imagine it's a classic Ohio type festival centered around this this tasty, uh, tasty kind of tropical like fruit. Uh, here, here's how you can actually try it. The Pawpaw Festival happens in September near Albany's Lake Snowden. Uh, otherwise, finding pawpaws requires persistent seasonal hunting at farmers markets. So, there you go. There you go. There is not a $100 reward for finding and eating a pawpaw. Um, They sound pretty tasty, in fact. And 
you know, given that they tend to ripen to the point of fermentation, it makes sense that there are some alcohols out there that have pawpaw in them or are made from the fruit itself. So again, that was uh, that was fun reading that, and uh, I picked this book up this afternoon again at a restaurant in Bexley. There was a luncheon. Um, Cecily was there answering questions. She signed my book afterwards. Uh, she said, "Hi, Nick, Cecily Wong." I got. I'll, I'll post a picture of it. It's really tremendous. And uh, the book. Those are just three examples of the great content you can find inside of this book. I'm getting absolutely no dollars to promote this. It's just something fun that I came across today uh, with my mom. In fact, shout out uh, Maureen. It was great hanging out with you today, as always. And she's an avid fan of the podcast, so she went over to Gramercy Books to do some shopping herself. And she was talking to, it sounds like, Nikki over there at Gramercy Books. And Nikki said that she would uh, like us to tag tag them uh, in in our post about this uh, podcast episode, and they would help promote it again. <laughs> With the topic being gastro obscura, masturbation, stink bugs, and pawpaw fruit, I, they might they might double think it, especially coming from the Meat Bucket podcast. But anyway, thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope that you found this to be a fun, enjoyable episode. Meat Bucket Monday is coming up next Monday, just uh, after this weekend. So again, it's Friday when this is coming out. Uh, I've got a jam-packed weekend. Dave Concert Matthews this evening, and uh, Saturday we've got a diaper party type uh, baby shower for a friend, and then Sunday we're going to go see uh, the Columbus crew take down uh, the Chicago soccer team. Uh, And... So, action-packed weekend, but on the tail of that, Monday is coming, Meat Bucket Monday. It's going to be an episode and an experience uh, with the two brothers who own North Country Charcuterie. It's going to be tremendous. So, anyway, I I appreciate you listening in. Uh, Thank you so much. As always, stay pure out there and ride the bucket. Frost line, freeze dry, been keeping me away. Three hours, the same line for days and days. Outside, it melts down, sends me on my way. In your eyes, there's been enough time, let it be today. Paperwork and rain And grid life And drift up The silly sad day In real life Stage fright 
much more to gain 